when uh, when you run a class uh, like we're doing right now called the Perspectives class, one of the great uh, benefits of that is you get to meet some really cool people. And uh, we do the Perspectives class about once every three or four years, and in the course of that time, we've uh, invited these people to come back and speak. One of those people is Claude Hickman. Claude is a friend. Can I call you a friend? Your friend. Yeah, from uh, from Riverside, California. Claude uh, and his friend Todd Aaron started something called the Traveling Team after they graduated from college. And, uh, and Claude spent the first seven years of his married life traveling, crisscrossing the, the country, staying in people's homes and speaking to college students, mobilizing them to get involved in uh, the story that God has been writing from the beginning of time, what we call the Great Commission. And... Um, and so now he serves as the executive director of that ministry, and they have three teams of uh, young college graduates who are doing the same thing. They hit just about every state uh, in the continental United States going to these college campuses, talking to students, college students, about living a life of purpose and significance. And I think that that's something that all of us struggle with and all of us wrestle with, whether you're a college student or not, is we want to live a life of purpose and significance. So uh, Claude has written a book on that. It's called Living Life on Purpose. We have ordered that in bulk over the years, and we've given it away indiscriminately to people uh, who, who God is moving and working in their lives. If you have a college graduate or a high school graduate, that's a great book to give uh, kind of as a gift for them as they are trying to seek out what God's uh, role would be for them as they, uh, as they step out into their adult life. Um, if you were to Google Claude on YouTube, you're almost more as likely to get a, uh, a YouTube video of him riding a BMX bike because he's a pro BMX biker. And uh, so you'll, you'll be more likely to get well, something like that just as much as you might see a sermon of him preaching at his home church in, uh, in uh, Riverside, California, which is called Sandals which is actually one of the fastest-growing churches in the United States, right? So, anyways, give a warm welcome to Claude Hickman. We're glad that he's here with us today. Good morning. Good morning. It's always scary when somebody's going to Google you, right? There's only two people that know everything, God and Google. Uh, You know, I'm no longer a college student. I'm a parent. Anybody got parents of little kids? You got little kids around your house? We got two boys, and man, they ask us questions nonstop. Now I know why my parents were always tired and frustrated because our kids ask like 300 questions a day. You know, before Alexa, it was just mom, right? And you think you're kind of smart. I mean, like I went to college, you know, but my kids, you, you hang out with a five year old for an hour and you don't feel that smart. My son's always like, Dad, how does gravity work? And I'm like, I, I don't know, you know? How's this magnet work? Pass, you know? <laughs> Uh, how does a fish breathe underwater? I'm like, something about the, these things, you know? And just constant questions. So the day before I baptized him, he asked me a question that just, it, it was one of the most important questions he's ever going to ask in his life. But it snuck up on me, right? Because it's in the middle of all these other, you know, thoughts that are going on in his head. And he's, I mean, he's all over the place. One, one day he goes, Dad, if you had x-ray vision, you know, you couldn't see anything. He said, maybe blind people just have really good x-ray vision. It's weird. I was like, I didn't know whether to call it NASA or a priest, you know. It's like, you're scaring me, buddy. But uh, the day before he got baptized, we're, we're looking at the water. At our, and, you know, next day is Easter. He's excited about getting baptized on Easter. But he asked me this question. He said, Dad, if I die, you know, am I going to go to heaven? I'm like, yes, you've trusted Jesus already. 
You made him, you know, the, the savior of your life. If you died, you'd go to heaven. And he goes, well, tomorrow when you baptize me, it's Easter. What if you just left me underwater and sent me to heaven on Easter? Right? That's his question. Why, why am I still here? If heaven's so great, why don't you just baptize me on the Easter? And hold me? I'm like, oh my goodness, as a parent, I didn't see this coming. But I, need to, I should probably have a good answer for this, right? Seminary didn't prepare me for this, this parenting moment. But uh, here's what I said. And if you're a parent, you know, log this one away. This is a good one. Uh, I said, well, first of all, I'm going to bring you up out of the water because murder is kind of frowned upon at our church and the state of California. Uh, so I'm going to bring you up out of the water. I said, but you need, to, you need to try to stay alive as long as God allows you. And he said, but why? Right? Like if heaven's so great, you know, why? And I said, do you know all the people that we talk about around the world? The other people that have never heard about Jesus yet? He goes, yeah. He goes, if every Christian just goes straight to heaven, who's going to tell them? He goes, oh, okay, good idea, Dad. I was like, yeah, shut up, all right? I know some things. Now, that's probably not how you would say that, you know, uh, like my seven-year-old. But that question is a question I think all of us have. And, and the question is, why am I here? Like, like, why am I here on the planet? That's not a college student question. I'm, I'm not here to talk to college students. I'm here to talk to you. That's not a seven-year-old question. That's not even a Christian question. You with me? Like even my non-Christian friends want to know, deep down they want to know, is my life going to matter? Right? If I'm working for Blockbuster, are they going to last? Right? If, if, if what I'm doing with my life, is it going to have significance? Is it going to ripple? Is, is it going to mean anything? Does my life have purpose in this world? How many of you have that question, right, today? I hope you do. No, I don't care. The rest of you will know. There's five people that care. I think you do. I think we want to know, man, God, what, what do you want for my life? And is it really going to matter in the world? The problem is um, we go to all the wrong places to answer that question. Because some of you have been told, man, follow your heart. Because that works, right? Anybody ever date the wrong person? You followed your heart? You're like, that was stupid. Uh, follow your heart. That's some people's advice. Just follow your heart. That. That's probably the worst one. I bought my mom an iPhone a while back. She doesn't know how to use it. She thinks the battery dies every two minutes because the screen goes black. She's like, the battery. She'll call me like nonstop, ask me how to use it. The other day she called me. Uh, she was trying to find a gas station. She's like, I'm doing the maps and everywhere I go, it says the gas station is right here. I'm going all, I'm driving all around this block and it says the gas station is right, right here. And I said, Mom, is the, is the dot you're looking at blue? She's like, yes, it's blue and it's doing this. I'm like, Mom, that's you. You found you, all right? <laughs> Do you know the Bible says that you don't make a good north star for yourself? Jeremiah ten twenty three says, I know, Lord, that as man's way is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his steps. You need something outside of yourself. So you can follow somebody else. You can follow successful people. Like I live in Los Angeles. Everybody's beautiful. They, they, listen, they have everything. They have all the cars, all the stars. And they're miserable. You can follow people like that. Uh, anybody know who Bill Gates is? Or Mark Zuckerberg? Warren Buffett? Listen to me. A couple of years ago, they did something. And if, you're, if your goal in life is to follow success or money or whatever you want to call it, you need to watch the people that are at the top of that mountain. Because a couple of years ago, those three men started a thing called the Giving Pledge. And their commitment was to give away half of their wealth during their lifetime. Why do you think they're doing that? 
You, you know, you, you need to ask, even if I wasn't a Christian, I got to ask the question, what does Bill know that I don't know? Like if he's at the top of the mountain of money and going, hey, we're, we're giving it away and trying to get people water. We're giving it away and trying to get people around the world food. In other words, they're saying this is the wrong mountain. Microsoft is not going to last forever. Just like Blockbuster. Facebook is not going to last forever. And what's crazy is 160 other billionaires have signed that pledge with them. That they're saying, this is the wrong mountain. Listen, if you're made to last forever, don't you think you need a story that lasts forever? Don't your heart, don't you think your heart will only be satisfied in the context of a drama that lasts forever? A purpose that lasts forever? And for that, you need an author that lasts forever. And, and so I'm not here to tell you what I think. What, what I'm here to, today to do is say, man, let's look at what, what does God know that Bill Gates doesn't know? What does God know about you and your heart that will bring you purpose and significance in this world that will last, that will outlast water, will outlast bread, will outlast your life? You with me? We're going to look at a story in Acts chapter 8 about a young man who God invites him into this kind of story, invites him into this kind of purpose and it's so cool because it's such a crossroad moment in the beginning of the church. If you know the story of Acts in the New Testament, it's after Jesus has died and resurrected and ascended to heaven. He commissioned his disciples to go into the whole world. Uh, they, they were getting started at that. The church was starting to go out. But it hadn't yet gone to other people, other nations, other Gentiles. But there's this important moment that's too important for the church to miss. So God intervenes in Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 25. The guy named Philip. And here's what God says. An angel, here's what Paul, uh, the author says. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to this road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now I know this is a really random place to start. But God is just telling Philip, I need you to go somewhere. In fact, God, 16 times in the book of Acts, 28 chapters. 16 times in 28 chapters, God is sending people places. He, he's on this mission to reach people in the world. In fact, every time a member of the Trinity speaks in the book of Acts, he's sending someone somewhere. So this is no different. Go. But the place he's sending Philip is really weird. Because it's a ghost town. Gaza is this ruined city. There's nobody there. It's like desert ruins. And it's on this road... That, that by the time he gets there, it'd be noon because of the Greek. It's basically desert, noon. It means the same thing. So there's no reason to go here other than God, right? It says this is a deserted desert place. Why in the world would Philip leave all the good things that are going on and go to this desert road? Because God called him to. And he, he says yes. You know, my son, he came home a couple weeks ago during this fall, and he said, Dad, I want to try out for a part in the school play. And my, you know, my kid loves to sing, just like your kids. He's a 10-year-old. He sings while he's in the bath, and he sings while he eats. You know, you got kids that do that. They're like, <laughs> and you're really always worried he's going to choke to death because he just tries to sing all the time. So it's Beauty and the Beast in his school, and he's like, I want to try out for a part in Beauty and the Beast. And we're like, dude, go for it, you know. We encourage him to try hard things. He comes home. He's like, I got a part in the play. And we're like, awesome. He's like, I got Maurice. It's the old man, the, the dad. And so he brings home the script. My wife starts looking through it, and she's like, she grabs me. She's like, honey, come in the kitchen. And we're, we're looking through the script, and she goes, Maurice is the only part in the play. It's the only character who has no song to sing. 
we sit him down. And I'm just like, buddy, I'm, I'm so proud of you. You know, I'm so proud of you. You got a part in the play. But Maurice has no song to sing. And he says, yeah, I know. And I said, what, what do you mean you know? Why, why did you sign up for Maurice? What, what happened? He goes, Dad, when the teacher put up the list, by the time I got to it, all the good parts have been taken. You know, there were names next to every other part. But Maurice, nobody wanted Maurice. And he said, Dad, I just wanted to be in the story. I just want to be in the play. Listen, that's the kind of people that God uses. People say, I don't care if I get to sing my song. I just want to, I just want to be in the story. I want you, if you have your notes, I want you to write this down. i got three things we're going to talk about. The first one is this. God often leads people where others are unwilling to go. You want to know if it's God leading you into his mission and his will? This is a good sign. Because God often leads us to go where other people are unwilling to go. To, to reach the people that nobody else is reaching, somebody's got to do the things that nobody else is doing. You know, uh, if, we put, if we passed out a world map this morning and we said, hey, where's the desert place in our world where people don't know about Jesus? You with me? Like, where are the areas of the world where people today still don't know about Jesus? Because if you didn't know, there are many places in the world where people still have never heard. If we passed out a world map, you had to circle, you know, on, on the world. How would you do with that? You know, Mike's always talking about the Caucasus and places. I have no idea where they are, you know. World geography is not like our strong thing in America. You with me? Like, there was a survey done a couple of years ago. National Geographic, one in seven North Americans couldn't even point to North America on a map of the world. All right? That's pretty bad. <laughs> That's like Miss South Carolina uh, bad, you know. If you got abducted by aliens and you had to take a space Uber back to the planet, you, you couldn't even find your continent. All right? That's, that's pretty bad. Uh, we're probably not that bad in this room, but when it comes to this mission in the world, you know, how would you do? Like, how, how, you know, how many people groups are there in the world and how many language and people groups still have not heard of Jesus? You know, if you had to write down a number, how would you do? You know, how many missionaries are there in the world? Write down a number. How many languages are there in the world? And how many don't have a Bible yet in their language? Write down a number. Right? Should, I mean... Those questions make sense. How much money is given to missions? You, you see what I'm saying? Like, we need to grow in this area. A famous missionary named William Carey says, Every Christian should live life with an open Bible and an open map. And what he means by that is, as we look in God's Word and we see that He cares about people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and He says to go make disciples of all nations, as we open His Word, we've got to also open the map. And say, man, where are the areas of the world who still haven't heard? Uh, the Apostle Paul, I think, did this. This is Romans fifteen twenty When he talks about his life purpose, this is what he says. So I've made it my purpose, my ambition in life to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. He, he's saying, man, I need to open the map. I think if you were alive right now, 2019, he said, let's open the map and see how we've done. I remember somebody invited me to a like a missions class that Mike was talking about, the perspectives class. I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> I was like, first of all, I'm not a weirdo. Second of all, I have a life. Third of all, uh, I, you know, I, don't, I don't know why we do all this mission stuff. This is what I told my friend. You know, like, I don't know why we send people to all these other countries. I know plenty of lost people in our country. Like, I know plenty of lost people right here, you know, in Milwaukee or wherever. And my friend said, yeah, that's the problem. You know them. He said, but for five out of six lost people, 
This is a true statistic. Out of all the lost people on planet Earth right now, five out of six lost people on the planet have no one like you. They don't know a Christian. In other words, they will never hear about Jesus unless somebody changes their address or learns a different language to get the gospel to them. Five out of six lost people aren't going to drive in traffic next to a Christian. They're not going to work you know, a cubicle next to a Christian, buy Starbucks in line you know, with another Christian. They have no hope unless somebody changes their address. Five out of six. And I learned a new term that day. That there were people who are not just unsaved, but there are 3.2 billion people in our world who are what we call unreached. They're unreached. Let me show you a map where they live. If we put them on a map, they land in North Africa, the Middle East, India, China. The size of the red dot represents the size of the population because some of those countries are over a billion people. 3.2 billion people that didn't sleep in this morning. There is no church. They didn't forget to have a quiet time. There is no Bible in 2,000 of these languages. You with me? That's a, that's a desert place. And when I think about, is God calling us to go somewhere that may, maybe it makes no sense to you, but he says, man, it's the desert place of our world. What I love about Philip is he doesn't ask a bunch of questions or, you know, he doesn't want all the details up front. Like, can I get an itinerary, you know, on that trip to Gaza? He just goes. He just obeys. And, and God answers why after he goes. The next verse says this, that Philip rose and went. And after he goes, after he obeys, he sees there's an Ethiopian coming down the road. It says there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, which if you don't know what a eunuch is, I'm just going to tell you he's very committed to his job with the queen. All right? That's all we're going to say about that. He's a eunuch, the court official of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. But look at this, man. He's in charge of all her treasure. He's very influential where he comes from. He's from another country, another nation. He's coming to Jerusalem to worship. So he's... He knows something about God. He's come to worship. But listen, because he's a Gentile, a non-Jew, and because he's a eunuch, he wouldn't have even been allowed into the part of the temple where you could worship. So he's probably going home discouraged and feeling like he's not fit. He's unfit to worship the one true God and confused. He's reading Isaiah. But the Spirit says, Philip, this is why. It says, go over to his chariot. Now... Philip understands why. How many of you have moments in your life you look back and you go, oh man, that's why that happened. That's what God was doing. That's why she broke up with me, right? Praise God. That's why I lost my job. There's something better, right? We all have moments like that. We look back and see why. I, a couple of years ago, I went to visit one of my friends who lives and works in the Middle East and is a little nervous about going. I'm pretty high maintenance when I go overseas. I drink like Diet Coke. And eat Burger King. I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of one of those people. And it made me nervous. I mean, the Middle East is a dangerous place, especially this time. We're going through a checkpoint every day where people have machine guns and would take your passport away and look at it. So I, I'm like, okay, God, if you want me to go, you better do something awesome, you know. And so my friend had lined up these appointments with his Muslim friends all day long. And every single one of them canceled on us or didn't show up. And so by the end of the day, I'm so frustrated at my friend. I'm like, you idiot. You know, I'm mad at God. I'm like, God, why am I here eating? You know, there isn't even Burger King, you know, and I'm here risking my life. At midnight, we're driving home and he rolls down the window and he starts yelling at these two guys in Arabic. And I'm like, I hit him on the arm. I'm like, stop, dude, you're going to get us hurt. You know, and 
Out of the 900,000 Emiratis, he knows these two Emirate guys. They come running over to the car. They, they're like, Todd. And, and they say, come over to our place for tea. It's midnight. They're like, come over to our place for tea. And I'm, I'm doing this. My, you know, my friend looks at me. He's like, we got to go. I'm like, no, this is how people disappear. And he's like, no, we got to do this. I'm like, uh-uh. I'm like, do they have Diet Coke? No. Okay, well. And he's like, they've never invited me to their home. I'm like, okay, we'll go. We sit down. No kidding. The first question this young person asks us is, are you guys Christians? And I was like, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You know, I, like it's over. Uh, we say, yes, we follow Jesus. This guy says, Todd, I've been praying. For the last month, I've been praying to Allah that I would run back into you. Because I have to do a report for my university on who is Jesus. And I don't have any information. I want to ask you questions. Listen, for the next three hours, they ask us questions about why is Jesus called the Son of God? Where did the New Testament come from? How do you know it's reliable? Ask us questions about the Trinity. At one point, they learned that we sing songs when we get together. They're like, oh, sing us a song, which was the most awkward thing I've ever done. Seminary did not prepare me for, Lord, I lift your name on high in the middle of the Middle East. Uh, God used two tone-deaf white guys, right, in the Middle East. Uh, but at the end of that time, my friend said, that was the most meaningful conversation I've had in my time in the last year. There, Listen, God had something up his sleeve. And God's job is the miracle, but, but your job is to be available. And some of you, man, you're waiting on God to do something, a, a miracle, and God says, you won't give me the opportunity. Why don't you write this down? This is point number two. God clarifies his will after I obey, not before. That's the part we don't like. Philip, Go. Desert place, just go. Trust me, just go. Some of you are waiting on a miracle and God is saying that you act the miracle. God is waiting on you to act the miracle. That's how he shows up. And he clarifies what he's doing after you obey what he's been clear about, not beforehand. The Apostle Paul as this missionary that we know, that went all these places and did all these great things. Look at, if you look at one of his stories in Acts 16, you'd think he was an idiot. You know, look at how many places Paul tries to get and, and, and all this stuff that happens. Don't think that just some miracle happened and poof, Paul was this magical missionary. Look at all the regions that he butts his head against the door and the door's closed. It says this, we went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbid by the Holy Spirit to come back there. If the Holy Spirit shows up and shuts down your short-term mission trip, that's kind of a big deal, all right? That'd be a little scary. Most people pack up and go home. Paul keeps going. Then they go to Mycenae. And they attempt to go to Bithynia. They're like, we're not stopping. But Jesus shows up and doesn't allow them. That's even scarier, right? Nobody's had that probably happen. Uh, so passing by Mycenae, they go down to Troas. He doesn't quit, right? He's acting the miracle. He goes down to Troas. They have a vision that appears of a guy in Macedonian. We immediately sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. And what I want you to see is that Paul is not sitting at home waiting for God to kick him out. He's acting the miracle. In fact, it takes the entire trinity getting involved to, you know, redirect him. And, and here's what I'm saying. God has no problem stopping you. You're not going to give too much to missions. I don't think anybody's ever done that in the history of the world. You're not going to outgive, you know, you know, you're not going to outpace God. God has no problem steering you, stopping you, but the problem is me. 
me getting started. Because if I were honest, the reason why there's a desert place in our world right now is because of me. Because I have stopping points in where I choose to live and how I choose to give. That's why there's a 1040 window. Philip, I love his obedience. Next verse, verse 30, it says that Philip ran. Do you hear his instant obedience? And the timing matters. This is a moment that matters to God. He said, I don't want to miss this moment. This is a crossroads moment for the church. So Philip runs. And he hears him. Because he gets there on time, he hears him reading Isaiah, the prophet. And says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. And if you know the rest of the story, Philip gets to explain to him from Isaiah who Jesus is. Is that he died and he raised for sins so that even Gentiles could be saved. And the Ethiopian says, is there anything stopping me from being baptized? He baptizes him in the water. This is the first Gentile convert, the first person from another nation that becomes a Christian. But what's even cooler than that, the reason this moment matters so much is he's on his way where? He's on his way home. And 300 years later, a historian, Arrhenius, looks at North Africa... And 300 years later, do you know what? Most of North Africa is Christian. How do you think the message got there? Because an influential Ethiopian who is on his way home on a desert road, and somebody said yes. Somebody showed up, and God made it a miracle. This moment was too important to miss. I want you to write this down. This is point number three. Not all time in life is equal. How many of you guys are over 40? Raise your hand. I'm 43. You could, you could say, right? Not all time in life is equal. How many of you have moments you wish you could have back? Man, some of my greatest regrets, I'll be honest, not sins I've committed, but moments that if I could be, if I could be in the room, again, I, I would scream at myself. Right? To say, don't stay silent. You need to speak. Or to stay when I... Should have left. Or, you know, moments I wish I had back. Not all time in life is equal. This moment mattered, but the reason we have this story is because of the narrator that wrote the book of Acts, who also wrote the book Luke in the Gospels. Luke was an author. He was a doctor, but he put together a record. We know it as the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. It's 52 total chapters. And it's amazing uh, to read through. Because imagine getting to be the author that writes about the stories of all Jesus' miracles. Uh, the disciples, the apostles. It's 52 chapters. So one year I just read all of Luke and Acts together. 52 weeks, 52 chapters. And as I was reading through this narrative of all these people and places. And you know, Luke's talking about all these things that they did that were so cool. Something changed August 20th. Uh, something, I turn a page to Acts chapter 21, and unless you're reading through it all the way through, you probably wouldn't notice this, but something changed. This is all it said in the first part of chapter 21. He's with Paul. They meet with some disciples in a home for a few days, and it says, After our days were ended, we left. We went on our journey, and those people came with them, their wives and children, to the outside of the city. And there's this image where they kneel down at the beach, we pray, and we say goodbye to one another, and then this sentence shook me. It says, then we went on board the ship and they returned home. And I said, we went on board the ship. They returned home. And I flipped back to Acts 20 
and I flip back, you know what changed? The pronoun. The pronoun changed. In other words, for 40-something weeks, Luke has been telling a story about what other people did. For 40-something weeks, Luke has been telling stories about what Barnabas did and what Peter did and what they did and the miracles they performed and what they got to see. But in Acts chapter 21, it says, we got on board the ship. He steps into the story. There's a, there's, this is literally the crossroads moment where there's a ship. And some of the disciples who pray go to church. They read their Bible. They follow them all the way to the water. But it says they returned and went home. They, we don't even know their names. Because they disappear out of the story. But Luke. Luke steps into the story. And it changes the pronoun he uses for the rest of eternity. Do you realize there's going to be some stories in heaven that people tell with a different pronoun than you and I tell? You ever heard of the story of Jesus walking on water? Right? Do you realize that there's one other person that for all eternity, for all eternity can say, no, we walked on water. He can use a different pronoun because he stepped into that moment. Look, I, I, I don't know what your story is. But when you get to heaven someday, there's going to be people there worshiping, not just from Ethiopia, but from every nation, every tribe, every language. And, and it's going to be the story we celebrate for the rest of eternity. I, want to, I don't want it to be the story what William Carey did or Hudson Taylor did. This isn't Troy's story or Mike's story. This isn't my story. This is God's story we're talking about. But I want to tell it with a different pronoun. I want to say, man, this is who we reached. These are the missionaries that my wife and I, we gave to send them out. We sent people there. We did this. God's inviting you into this story. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Kettlebrook has amazing ways that you can get involved personally. And one way it might just be coming back. We're doing this class called Perspectives. It changed my life. Tuesday night, we'll be right back here. It's free for anyone to come sit in if you want to join us for that. But I want to ask you, uh, beyond just that, what's the thing that God wants you to do to step into his story? Because, man, Microsoft isn't going to last forever. And I love what those guys are doing. They're providing water for people and and things like that around the world. That's great, but that's not going to last forever. That's not going to quench their thirst forever. But Jesus says, I have something that will. I love what Mark Zuckerberg's doing to get bread for people or food for people. But that bread's not going to last forever. But Jesus says, I have a bread that will. You're made to last forever. And and listen, you're not going to be satisfied until you find yourself as a part of a story that lasts forever. Can I make that our prayer? All right, let's pray. God, I'm tired of watching the story go by. I I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize that, man, I got all the way to the shore, all the way to the waters, and then I turned and, and disappeared out of something incredible that you're doing in the world. And, and I don't know if that means we're missionaries to Siberia, but, God, maybe it begins with just how we begin to pray, how we begin to give, and how we begin to ask, God, how can we change the pronoun to be a part of what you're doing in the world? So, God, we don't, we don't want to climb the wrong mountain. 
God, I pray that today you would call us and invite us into this incredible, epic story that you're writing. And we pray it for your glory. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.